Well, good morning. Good morning. That is a tough act to follow. You guys are good, man. Uh, it's a blessing to, uh, I obviously was here for the first service, and uh, man, how cool it is to be a part of a, a group of people that's singing hymns, that's using the piano, and then transition into the next service that has the same heart and the same passion and the same, uh, the same family, the same community, and then uh, to do the more contemporary style. Uh, it's just so cool to, to be a part of both of the services this morning. Uh, my name's Adam, and Sam did a wonderful job introducing me, and so I appreciate that, uh, Sam. I am a, uh, uh, a Husky. I am an HBU student, um, and uh, that's kind of how my connection with Mike happened. Uh, man, in this service, I have to like look at spotlights. It's crazy. Um, the other one wasn't like that. Uh, but uh, I, I go to HBU. I'm an undergrad. I'm a senior uh, working on an undergraduate degree in, in, in Christianity, planning to begin my master's in theology uh, next next year, at the beginning of next year. And um, so that's that's where kind of the connection comes from. I, uh, I'm an associate pastor at a 106-year-old church called Baptist Temple in uh, the heart of Houston, the historic Heights neighborhood. Some of you uh, may have heard of it. I think there's a guy here that's on the Heights chamber uh, right there, um, which is cool. That's a great connection. And uh, so we're 106 years old. I'm a third-generation member of Baptist Temple. My daughter is a fourth-generation member of Baptist Temple. Uh, I am the associate pastor there, and um, it is it is a, mm, uh, a real honor to be a part of so much history uh, in that place. In addition to being a student and uh, an associate pastor, I'm kind of most known for my work with Elijah Rising, which is an anti-human trafficking organization, nonprofit, uh, faith-based nonprofit that uh, is combating injustice. And uh, I am, as Sam mentioned, the Mobilization and Awareness Director, an original founding member of the organization. And uh, but really, on top of all of that, and above all of my crazy busy life. The most important thing is that I'm a husband and a father. I have a 19-month-old daughter, and uh, being a family man these days is a, is a real blessing and uh, is a great work of the Lord to bring humility and patience and grace and repentance and love and faithfulness and kindness and gentleness. You get, you understand. And so I am, uh, I'm often asked, and so... I, you know, I, I, I think that the best preachers and the best sermons come from a place of where the Lord is kind of talking to you, right? Uh, I think the best sermons I can ever give, ever, ever write, are focus on what the Lord's talking to me about, you know, where, where my heart is, what the Lord's doing with me. And so uh, recently there's been a lot of emphasis on, on prayer around my, my spheres, uh, and uh, in circles, and this morning I came into the building and like, hey, we're gonna do the Lord's prayer. It's kind of something new we're trying to do each service. Can you lead that? Absolutely, right. Um, and so there's even more emphasis there. And so we're gonna talk about prayer this morning. Um, before I kind of jump into to what I want to say, I, I am so often asked because of my involvement with Elijah Rising and uh, being the mobilization director. I'm constantly talking to different groups of people. Uh, doing interviews and stories and, you know, speaking engagements and things like that. Uh, I'm often approached by random strangers who will come up to me and ask, how do you guys do it? How has Elijah Rising been so successful in this, in, in this endeavor? And 
the reason why they asked that is because we started as, as a very small five-person uh, meeting to pray. That was it. We just wanted to get together and pray for the ending of human trafficking and for the justice of God to be made manifest in our city. And there was about five of us. We started praying one hour, once a month. And that was it. And honestly, we didn't have, I mean, aspirations too much greater than that. We just wanted to pray and see what the Lord would do. And uh, that's how we started. We are now currently, four years later, up to about 36 hours of prayer a month, from 1 to 36. And uh, we have created all sorts of departments and ways to bring awareness and intervention to the city of Houston and to actually the greater region. And we really have reached into Louisiana, Oklahoma, and surrounding regions. And, uh, I mean, we, we are impacting uh, a pretty good, a pretty significant um, percentage of the population of Houston, Texas. We're growing rapidly. The recognition's coming in. People are writing stories, doing interviews. Uh, we have this thing called the Awareness Van Tour that has really taken off. We, uh, we, if, the, if the trend holds, we project to have taken 1% of the population of uh, the Houston city limits on a van tour by the end of 2015. Uh, and so... That is thousands upon thousands of people. And I think what most people have been giving us recognition for recently is our work in intervention. We have uh, just, in the past month, shut down two brothels. Uh, and before that, we've shut down three. And uh, many of you may know that our headquarters is actually in a former brothel. Uh, last July, we're coming up on a year anniversary of praying over a place, doing intervention in a place, bringing awareness to a place, shutting it down, removing the injustice that was there and moving in and setting up our headquarters there. And so I tell you all that because for many people, that is really impressive. They're really impressed by the work that we've been able to do and they want to know what the key to success for us is. Other organizations even, other anti-trafficking organizations, other nonprofits who are just focusing on other injustices, they'll come to me and they'll say, how do you do it? What, what is the secret to your success? Well, this morning, I've come to FC3. I said it wrong in the first service, so I'll say it right this time. FC cubed. Right. <laughs> See, you can't mess with me. I said FC squared in the first one. <laughs> And they quickly brought up the stones, but, you know. Uh, I've come to give you the secret to the, to the success that we're experiencing. And I'll give it away from the very beginning, right now. The tried, tested, and proven way to succeed in ministry is pray. It's your prayer life. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Before I forget, I skipped over this a second ago. I'm honored to be here. I'm really honored to be in your midst this morning. Uh, I said it in the first service, you might, you might not think so, but I am. It's a, it's a huge blessing and honor to be here. And thank you for the work that you've done, the support that you've given, the prayer support, the financial support, the human resources uh, through Sam and Hayden that you've, that you've given to Elijah Rising. We really appreciate it. It's communities, it's families like yours that are the second key to success. We pray first, but it's, it's really the local congregation that's willing to just do a little bit and then do a little bit more and do a little bit more. Um, and so I, I, it's, it's a real honor to be in your presence because of the work that you've done uh, to support the work that God is doing. So let's talk about prayer. 
Let's talk about prayer a little bit this morning. Um, I think, you know, I, as I mentioned, the Lord's been kind of dealing with me in my own personal prayer life recently and kind of in different spheres of influence. And I, seeking the Lord, Mike asked me to do this, I guess, about a month ago. I've just really been praying, you know, like, Lord, what do you have to, for me to give to these people? And um, I feel like the Lord wants to talk about the necessity and the power of the praying church. I think, uh, and if you've got a copy of scripture, I guess we can go ahead and pull that out. Uh, I'm going to be in Matthew 6. We're going to jump around a little bit. We're going to go back to Luke a couple of times. Uh, but we'll, we'll kind of camp out in six, Matthew 6. I think if we're going to talk about prayer, we have to start with a foundation, right? You can't ever just create something out of thin air. And so if we're going to talk about prayer, I think the best, well, we know, the best model, an example of a effective prayer life is Jesus himself. It's Christ, right? Um, I often say that the, I believe that the ministry of the church, and I mean church global, the ministry of the whole body of Christ should mirror exactly the ministry of Jesus. Why? Because we're his body. We understand that the church is the body of Christ. So what did Jesus do? That's what we should be doing. And uh, I don't have the time to you know, expound upon this, but I believe that there is Jesus' earthly ministry and his heavenly ministry, and we're responsible for both of those here and now. Um, and so, but what I want to look at this morning is, well, what was the fuel to Jesus' earthly ministry? How did he do what he did? What was the key to Jesus' success? If Jesus were in my shoes and people were coming to him and saying, how are you so successful at what you're doing, Jesus? What do you think his answer would be? Well, his answer would be, I only do what I hear and see my father doing. I do what he does. Okay, well, that begs the question, how do you know what he's doing? Well, I get away and I pray, right? Jesus' prayer life is critical. It's a critical foundational element to everything that he does. And if we, the church, are called to have the same ministry, we cannot think that the key to our success in ministry is any different. Right? So Jesus is the model. Jesus is the, uh, is the example. I also want to say, too, just before we dive into the text, I think it's always important to remember that prayer is a privilege. It's kind of crazy, you know what I mean? Like, that God in his infinite wisdom and power and everything that he is, so much other than, that he would choose, in all of that infinite wisdom, to work in the creative order through the prayers of fallen, broken creatures. It's a privilege to be able to have a direct communication line with the God of the universe, with the creator of the universe, the all-powerful one, right? That's a, that's, a, that's a privilege that we really should take more advantage of, I think. All right, let's look at Matthew. I'm going to look at Matthew 6, 5 through 13. Uh, I'm just going to read the whole chunk of text there, and then we'll, and then we'll open it up. So Matthew 6, starting in verse 5. And when you pray... You are not to be as the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the streets, in the synagogues. Sorry, I've got a glare. All right, let me start over. 
And when you pray, you're not to be as the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners in order to be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will repay you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask him. Pray then in this way, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. So this is Jesus teaching on prayer, right? This is Jesus, this passage is taken from the Sermon on the Mount, coming and saying, look, you want to know what the key is? You want to know where the power is found? It's in the prayer life. And let's do a little practicum, right? Here's, I'm just going to lay out the principles. Here's what you should do. Here's what you shouldn't do. Now let's practice, right? And he gives them the Lord's Prayer. The church has been praying the Lord's Prayer since its inception, right? We did it this morning. My church at Baptist Temple, we prayed every Sunday. And so the Lord lays out this principle, so there's a couple of key uh, elements to this before he actually gets to the Lord's Prayer that I want us to look at. And so in verse 6, he lays out this idea of get away from it all. Right? Go into your inner room. There's something powerful about intimacy in the individual prayer life. Something powerful about being alone. Something powerful about being locked away. And engaging in a prayer life with the Lord. Because in that act of prayer, it, that's the cultivating work of your relationship with the Lord. He even says, go into your closet, right? I was mentioning this in the first service. You know, this may certainly be a very literal, you know, get out of the streets, go into a room. But honestly, I think that there's something deeper happening here where Jesus may be instructing us to get deep inside of us. Go into the deepest recesses of who you are in your, your new man, your, your heart, your spirit, and pray from that place. Pray from the place, the, 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 the depths of you. Go deep. And so why is prayer rooted in intimacy with the Lord? Well, because the Lord is intimate, right? His very nature is is an unbroken, unceasing, communal relationship within himself. Before we have prayer, before we have humanity, we have God. And what is God? God is a Trinitarian, mind-boggling mystery. Right? He's three in one. And the beauty of the nature of God is that he's in this constant relationship with himself. It's not like the Trinity sits around stagnantly in three separate divisions, kind of shoulder to shoulder, looking out over the abyss of nothing, right? 
That's not who the Trinity is. Trinity is a relationship. I, I, I use uh, my favorite um, kind of illustration of the Trinity is this idea of the dance, right? Uh, used multiple times in different places, my, but my, my favorite kind of uh, usage of it is by C.S. Lewis, and he describes it as this beautiful, unbroken dance where the Son is honoring the Father, and the Father is honoring the Son, and the Spirit's honoring the Son, right? And it's just this just, just intimate connection. And what's crazy about this is that it's so perfect that it needs nothing else. It's complete. It's, it's sublime. But there's something in the very nature of God that he says, I need another element. Or maybe I want another element. Let's add a, a, a different creature to the, to the mix. Let's invite this thing called humanity into our dance. Wouldn't that be swell? And again, I don't know why, but God in his infinite wisdom created a finite being. Well, I guess we are eternal, right? We will be. Get ready for that. <laughs> but he, he created us to be with him forever. And again, it's not like he created us so that the Trinity could dance together and we sit over on the wall, right? We're not the wallflowers of the Trinity. We're invited into the communion. We're invited into the intimacy. And where else do we do that? Except in the place of prayer. And now when I say prayer, I also mean worship, right? I, I, I see those things as directly linked. It's in that place of prayer and worship that we, that we connect. I mean, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? Well, I'm of the conviction that that's what it means to be made in the image of God, is that we're innately communal, in love. And there's a, there's a reality, right, where we are in communion with one another at a temporal level, human to human, right? We see in the, in, the, uh, in the creation story, God creates man. Well, what's the first negative statement? It's not good for him to be alone. So there's the necessity of human to human community, human to human intimacy, right? Absolutely. Uh, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. So there's that in our creative being. To be locked arms with one another as a community, as a family, as people working together. But then God also walks in the cool of the day with man. So it's not just that we've been created to get married and have kids and, and do this thing called church, but that God wants to actually be a part of our dance as we're a part of his dance. Again, how do you do that except for in this place of prayer and worship? And Thank God, by his divine design, he indwells our human frame. Again, I don't know. <laughs> so that's kind of the first premise, right? Prayer is intimate. Prayer is where we develop relationship with God. Now, there's a problem, right? We know that the post-lapsarian humanity has an issue with this. There was a, break, a breaking of that dance, a breaking of that community, a breaking of that mm, unhindered connection and communication line, right? We fell. Sin entered the world, breaking that covenant, breaking that connection. But thank God, again, in his infinite wisdom, he put on flesh, became incarnate, and went to the cross. 
because he just couldn't turn his back on the intimate community that he so desires with us. And therefore, the blood of the Lamb reconnects us. It welds that communication line back together. But it's a little bit harder now, right? It's a little bit more difficult. There's a lot more choices that we have to make. There's much more intentionality. God no longer just comes and walks with us in the cool of the day. We have to be intentional about turning to him. And he responds faithfully, absolutely. But there's an onus on us to connect. That's why the resurrection is so beautiful, right? That's why the resurrection is so powerful. The temporal mess, the, the brokenness, we just get to be in his presence. Uh, anyways, I'm not here preaching on the resurrection. So prayer is powerful. Prayer is powerful because it's intimate. Prayer is powerful because it cultivates connection with, you could say, the power, right? Ultimate power. And that is how we begin to bring the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. Because we grab a hold of heaven in that divine connection and dance and begin to pull it right here in the midst of the worship, in the midst of the prayer meeting. That's the power of it. Prayer is how we fulfill the call to bring the kingdom, to live the kingdom, to be citizens of the kingdom before he returns. So there's some struggle here, right? Kind of mentioned it a second ago. And I think a lot of the times, even for myself, prayer is kind of scary. I grew up, uh, as I mentioned, the the church that I uh, am currently on staff at is also the church that I grew up in uh, from like the beginning of my life. And um, very traditional Southern Baptist environment where the Bible, you know, the Trinity was something like God the Father, God, the Son, and the Holy Scriptures, right? Um, and so, fortunately, we're, we're evolving. Um, but, I, you know, I, this idea of prayer, my concept of prayer was off. I thought it was boring. Certainly prayed at meals, but it was rushed, right? I'm hungry. You know, you prayed in the church service. Why? Because the preacher said, okay, bow your heads, Right? my prayer life wasn't one it didn't have any significance to me and honestly when you know i was invited to a prayer meeting i thought great we're going to sit around with a few people in complete dead silence for an hour and just talk to ourselves right that's the concept i was mentioning in the first service you know only the crazy guy on the corner sits and talks to himself for that extended period of time it's it's culturally just odd for people to sit and talk to someone who's not there or at least that's the way it's perceived right that's that's kind of how we think about it many times it's hard it takes a long time there's a couple years ago in the prayer meeting where i fell asleep and i don't want to do that again you know what i mean and we begin to build this kind of mindset and this concept of prayer that it's, it's, it's not really the work of the kingdom. It's the boring stuff that we have to do before we actually put feet on the ground and hands to the plow, you know? 
And I'm telling you, man, I'm telling you right here and right now, people ask me all the time, how has Elijah Rising been so successful? You just shut down two more brothels. People are coming to know Jesus. Prostitutes are coming out of the life, out of the life, being redeemed. You're taking over brothels. You're setting up this stuff. You're transforming the city. How do you do it? It's because we sit like crazy people in a room and talk to somebody who doesn't, isn't physically there in flesh and blood. I'm telling you, that's the key. Because I understand that he is there. And his flesh and his blood are us. So there's that fear element that has to be dealt with, I think, before we can get really effective. Uh, there's, there's, there's parallel passages, right, to, uh, to, the, to the, uh, the Lord's Prayer. In Luke 11, we see uh, Jesus teaching the disciples the Lord. I call it the Lord's Prayer abridged. Um, and it's in a different context than we see it here, right? The, the disciples actually, well, okay, let's go. Luke 11, Luke 11, 1. And so we have this, uh, again, I was saying Jesus is the perfect example, right? Well, how do we know? Because Luke 11, 1 says, And it came about that while he was praying in a certain place, Jesus is always praying in a certain place. After he had finished, what happens? One of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And then Jesus teaches the Lord's Prayer abridged. Now, so what's happening there? Well, think about this. The people that are the closest to Jesus, the people that are spending the most time with him, the people that are rolling with him everywhere he goes, doing everything that he does, that have really sold out to everything that he is, left everything behind, given everything to follow him, to be with him, to go where he goes, to do what he does. They begin to notice, Jesus, what is the key to your power? I see you healing the sick, bringing eyesight to the blind, raising the dead, casting out demons. What are you, how do you do this? And on top of all of that, you keep disappearing at these odd times and ending up on the hillside somewhere, talking to your father. What does that mean? They say, teach us to pray. I said this earlier, like, they're, they're Jewish. I mean, they're Jews. They know what prayer is. They have a concept of prayer, right? It's not like they're new to the concept. What they're saying is, Jesus, take us deeper in our prayer life. How do we go higher? How do we get what you got? So this is just kind of my last point on this intimacy thing is the people that were the closest to him were the people that were spurred on to deeper a deeper life in prayer. See, it's a, it's a cycle of birth and growth. The more we do it, the more we want it, the better we are at it. Not to think of it in terms of like skill, but the more we're there, in that moment, the more hunger that's cultivated in us. All right. So, what's interesting is if we go back to Matthew 6, Jesus says, Okay, you want to learn how to pray. Well, this is how you do it pray like this Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name 
Step one, it's got to be focused on the Lord. It's got to be about God. It's got to be about who he is. I mean, choosing the term father is important, right? We understand that. And then the very next principle that Jesus lays out, pray like this. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. The essence of the the Lord's prayer, the essence of Jesus teaching us to pray is intercession. Right? Contend for the kingdom on earth. Contend for it. Worship God. Know him as father. Now fight for the kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. Contend for it. That's how you pray. We'll talk about bread and debtors here in a second. But pray that the kingdom of God is here and coming and fulfilling and breathing and taking over. Now, there's that individual element, right? I need the kingdom of God to be made manifest in the fullest way right here inside of me. But then we get in a room together, all those people that are doing it right here, we get in a room together and we do it here corporately and we can shift nations. contend for the kingdom and that's how you do it right he didn't say I don't know I can't think of a good example well he didn't say okay here's what you do you pray you say Lord I love you thank you very much please help me today bless my marriage and then go I don't know fish for trout and that brings the kingdom right he didn't say that he said contend He said, pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So prayer is how we bring the kingdom. Now again, we have choices to make. We have actions to walk out, right? Elijah Rising doesn't just sit in a room and pray. We have to understand that there is, you can't continue to gaze on the man of justice and not actually walk out into the streets and bring justice, right? There is that element, but foundationally, you have to contend for the kingdom, to be made manifest and that's the thing man like that's the thing is there injustice around you can you perceive see injustice it doesn't have to be human trafficking it doesn't have to be some big you know people always think in terms of categories uh, conversations i have where you know the big injustices abortion and and human trafficking i'm like look man in the, the greatest injustice is that you're gonna die that's the greatest injustice the greatest injustice is that you have sinned That's the greatest injustice. Now, the way you bring justice to bear upon injustice is his name is Jesus. Right? And so is there injustice in your life? Is there injustice somewhere in your sphere? Maybe it's in your own heart. Maybe it's iniquity within you. Maybe it's conflict in your family. Maybe it is the brothel down the street. Maybe it is, I don't know, uh, the the unfair practices of, of, of the businessman down the street. I don't know. But if you can perceive it, guess what? You have the power to change it. You know how? When you pray, pray like this. Right? Like this. I mean, there's power in praying these exact words, but like this. Contend for the kingdom. Luke 18. Let's go there. I'm running out of time, so I'm not going to expound upon the whole parable. You, you all are very well-learned Bible scholars in this community, so I understand that, and I refuse to, uh, to insult your intelligence and your 
and your understanding of scripture. So Jesus is telling this parable right here in Luke 18. There's these two kings. One's very unjust. One happens to be just. And there is this, this woman, right, who's pestering them for justice. Now here's my point here. So the principle, without going you know, in depth into this, into this parable, the principle is found in, in verses 7 and 8, right there in Luke 18. What does he say? Now shall not God bring about justice for his elect who what? Cry out to him day and night. Will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them speedily. Some translations say swiftly, quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, and here's the indictment, will he find faith? Comes down to our faith, doesn't it? Because right here, the principle is laid by Jesus. If my church, if my people, if you guys, I'm including myself here, if we would cry out for his justice, guess what? He brings it. The kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. Now, let me say this. I understand, and at Elijah Rising, we understand that we do not get to end human trafficking. We don't. Only Jesus, upon his parousia, gets to end human trafficking on the face of the planet. Only he gets that honor and glory and power forever and ever. I don't. But guess what? I get to be a participant in that work before he shows up. And I believe with all that I am, based on the testimony of scripture and the principles that he's laid out and the way that he's taught me and the church to pray, that I have a sphere of influence, temporal and spiritual, that I'm responsible for. And the body of Christ that I'm connected with, now that means you guys, they each have a, a sphere of influence, temporal and spiritual, that they're responsible for. And by the blood of the Lamb and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, because we've been saved by Christ, we have the power to bring the kingdom of God to bear on that sphere of influence. So do I think I can end human trafficking in Houston, Texas? Absolutely. Why? Because it's my city. And I believe by faith, I want Jesus to come back and go, yep, I have found faith. Because there's no more sex slavery in Houston, Texas. And everybody's saved. Right. <laughs> Can I get an amen? <laughs> Seriously, why do we think that that's not a possibility? Because maybe our, we don't actually buy into the concept of prayer at its deepest levels. Hey man, I'm there with you. I'm there with you. It's a process. It's a journey. Now there's a couple of warnings that Jesus offers. I'm back in Matthew 6. 5 and verses 5 and 7 are these two very interesting warnings. That I feel like, I mean, until I was preparing for the sermon, like I just read over them. Like ah, I'm not those guys. But I, maybe I am. So verse 5, what does it say? It says, when you pray, you are not to be as the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners in order to be seen by men. Okay, look. I don't think our problem is that we love to pray. I mean, some people, right? I mean, this is, this is a very real element in some places. But I think it, just in a general sense of the, the church... 
the issue these days is not that people are praying too much, right, and too loud and too uh, boisterously in in the congregation. It's quite the opposite, right? And so what's happening here, the principle I think that Jesus is, is laying out here is these guys are praying, okay, good, yes, good, but the motivation is off. Their, their prayers are motivated, their prayers are impacted, I should say, by the opinions of others. And that's not good. Don't be like that. That's hypocritical. Well, so as I said, I don't, that, I don't really see that as our problem. What I see is the opposite. Well, I guess kind of the, you know, flip it a little bit. I feel like for many people, and I have been there, still being delivered of it in some cases, that we actually, instead of getting louder, we get quieter. Because we're afraid that we pray something dumb. We're afraid that we will stumble over our words. Oh, well, I have a fear of public speaking. Or I, I said this earlier this morning, Maybe there's a fear of praying something heretical, right? Well, I don't know. Does God really do that? I shouldn't pray. You know what I mean? And we have this fear of prayer that praying in front of other people is dangerous because what if, what if I do something wrong and they think poorly of me? Well, don't you see? That's the exact same thing that's happening in Matthew 6, 5. It's just reversed a little bit. When the, motive, when the opinions of other people are impacting your prayer life, whether you get louder or quieter, it's a bad deal. We have an audience of one, right? And there are some other elements here that I shouldn't take time to go into, but I'm feeling spurred on. You know, like if we pray in community, like if we're really communal, like if we really love each other, like if we really are family, which I get the sense being here today that you guys really are, there's so much connection and laughter. The worship team needs a reality show with just the way that they engage with one another. It's beautiful. But like if you're in the context of real loving community, man, you should not care what they think about you, right? Do you care what your kids at home think about you? Do you care what your wife, your husband, you know, whatever, in the context of your home? No, man. So maybe the issue there is just that the church doesn't actually love each other enough to feel comfortable to let it out okay moving on that was a digression um, verse 7 verse 7 he says and when you are praying do not use meaningless repetitions as the, Gentile, as the Gentiles do why because they suppose that they will be heard for what their many words don't be pagans right that's what he's saying don't be like the pagans and so my mind immediately goes to Elijah we are Elijah rising, right? Uh, my mind immediately goes to Elijah on Mount Carmel making fun of the prophets of Baal, man. Yeah, y'all just keep yelling. Cut yourself a little bit more. Maybe he's in the bathroom. Maybe he's gone to sleep. Maybe he's out on vacation and he'll be back in a little bit and then he'll bring fire upon your altar. Just keep screaming louder. And they do. Right? Go look it up. First Kings 18. They do. And Elijah's sitting over there laughing doesn't work and then what Yahweh brings fire on the altar and I, I just wonder if Jesus is kind of like you know thinking this like I am and so what's happening there it's this issue of faith because I think we can find ourselves in that reality as well do we believe that when we pray 
God hears and responds. Now we all say, right, if I'm a good pastor, I need to say to you, maybe his answer is wait. Maybe his answer is no. Maybe his answer is yes. That's true, right? But do we believe that he actually responds? Luke 18, we just read it. When Jesus returns, will he find faith on the earth? That's in the context of praying to him to bring about some sort of activity, bringing justice. And I think the Gentiles, right, they didn't believe that their God could hear them. So they just got louder and did crazy things like cut themselves. Well, we might not be cutting ourselves, but we may think, well, maybe I sinned too much this week. Or maybe I didn't take communion properly. Or, you know what I mean? We begin to try to justify. Well, God's not hearing my prayers, and maybe God won't hear my prayers because I did this or I did this. So I should do this, and I should do this, and I should do this. Then I'll be holy enough to where God can hear my prayers. Well, that's what the Gentiles do. Or, I mean, we're Gentiles. So that's what the pagans do. <laughs> right? I've been grafted in. Y'all are Gentiles. <laughs> Just kidding. But no, really, that's what the pagans do. Like, our God isn't that God. What does Jesus say? He already knows. Well, if he already knows, why are we even saying anything? Because he wants to love you. He wants to be intimate with you. He wants to connect with you. He wants to connect with you in your own individual heart, but he wants to see his family connect with one another and connect with him. Yeah, he already knows, but he wants us to do it because it's where we cultivate relationship with him and it's where the kingdom of God comes to bear upon the kingdom of earth. It's not about whether or not he can hear us or whether or not he will or won't do what we're asking. It's about being in him and him being here. That's why it's important. That's why it's a command. Like Jesus is saying, when you pray, there's an expectation that we are, right? So do we believe it? You know, this church, the first time I was ever here, you fed me pancakes <laughs> with chocolate chips <laughs> on folding tables upstairs. And I could hear the rumble underneath me of these guys. I could feel it. And I walked away that day. I didn't get to come to worship. But I walked away that day and got in my car and was driving the 12 hours back to Houston. <laughs> thinking to myself, that church is incredible. Not because you fed me pancakes. I understand how you could think that. <laughs> but because I feel, I just sense the power of God in this community. There is something here, and I, I go all over the place talking to people in different churches and things. I'm constantly standing up in front of groups like this talking. There's something here that is different, I, I'm, and I'm not just tickling your ears, I promise you. And it's not because Mike is such a good-looking man either. <laughs> but it's because there's like this sense of unity and connection here that isn't a whole, at a whole a lot of other places. And so the reason why I'm telling you that is I'm here to testify to the fact that you guys can change the world. If you believe that you can. 
And so I leave you with that today. Do you believe that God hears your prayers? Your numbers do not matter. They don't. Elijah Rising started with five people praying one hour once a month. It has nothing to do with how many people show up here on Sundays. Honestly, it doesn't have anything to do with what type of worship you're doing. Whether you're singing hymns at 8.45 in the morning or doing this. What it comes down to is, is there faith? Do you believe that this, I don't even know where I am, First Colony, something like that? <laughs> that you can transform this neighborhood and this area and everything around it. Because I'm telling you that you can. You've already, I should be Okay. Just think about Sam. I, you know, she's the one person I know the most here. Those two brothels that we shut down last month, like you realize you guys have, have a powerful influence in her life. She talks about you guys more than she talks about anything. Well, she talks about Hayden a lot. <laughs> and dogs. <laughs> but seriously, she, this is her family. And you know why those two brothels shut down last month? Because of the vision that was in her, the program that she set up, the people that she mentored into it, and the work that they did as a direct result of the program that she created, that's why those two brothels got shut down. And you know where she comes from? FC3. There's more of you here. Okay, I'm going to be quiet now. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this community. Thank you for these people. Thank you for uh, what feels like a home away from home. So, Lord, I just pray that you would increase, even in me right now, God, that you would increase our faith to pray, that you would increase the revelation of knowing who we are in you. And, God, that all the fear of what people might think, the fear of being bored, that all the things that may keep us from entering into a lifestyle powerful working prayer that all those things would begin to fade that you'd help us work through them that you'd help us root them out of our lives so that we could see the kingdom of heaven on earth and thank you Lord for the honor of being here for the honor of being able to, to be in the midst of this uh, great body of saints and it's in the name of Jesus and through the spirit we pray Amen. Mm -hmm.